Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Pat Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking. And others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it. You certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here. We think. This is yet another MCU podcast. Well, hello there. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You ready for week one? Week one of phase one, right? Phase one. Yeah. Phase one of phase week one. one. Week one, phase one. Week MCU one, phase one. and also yet another MCU <laughs> podcast. Right, right. Yet another. That's a classy name. Classy name. We'll come up with the, the title of this saga later <laughs> on. Yeah. So we're going to kick off uh, this podcast with or this podcast series with the first movie in the MCU, uh, Iron Man. Yes. So real quick, I'll just do kind of like a brief factual overview of, of, of who's involved. And then we'll just talk about the movie a little bit and then we'll, we'll move on from there. So as I said, it's Iron Man. It's a runtime of 126 minutes rated PG-13. It was released on April 30th, 2008. Uh, production budget was $140 million. It's opening weekend. It made $98 million. Domestic, $318 million. Worldwide, $585 million. So if you didn't realize it was a hit, it was a hit. <laughs> Directed by John Favreau, written by 85 people. It was written by a lot of people, man. It was written by Mark Fergus, Hawk Ostby. And then it was written by Art Markham and Matt Holloway with an uncredited uh, polish from uh, John August. And then there, there's another list of like four other people, but I think because they developed the characters. Starring Robert Downey Jr. I'm sure everyone knows that already. At a salary of $2.5 million. This is one where he gets locked in uh, for future MCU movies. Right. Well, he renegotiates That's after right. either after two or before three to get like 50 million. I think, he gets I think back it's in. more yeah. on the Avengers where he starts to bring home a lot. Uh, he's lot probably more. loaded right now. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, John Favreau is actually in this, which is he's in a th- like I know he's a character in the comic. So he played Happy Hogan, uh, Tony Stark's longtime bodyguard. And then he just... You know, as a way for I, I think John Favreau is, you know, more or less one of the one of the godfathers, one of the original architects. And I think keeping that continuity as we go 24 movies deep now, it's it's important, but it's it's good. You know, sure. Yeah. Well, he also he was going to direct the Captain America first Avenger and he was going to direct that as a more uh, I think I read he was going to direct it more as a like adventure com- uh, comedy movie or, or, or like so a like, fun, like adventure movie. So like I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but then he opted to do this one and this was a little, this cause this is a little bit more serious, this movie. Um, and also, and obviously you also get introduced to agent Coulson, uh, played by Clark Gregg in mm-hmm. this movie. And he obviously, if you're fans of Marvel, which, uh, I don't, Coulson's not a character in, in the comics, is he? Not originally. Okay, no, not, right. not before the movie. They've introduced him later on into a great series called secret Avengers. Uh, Highly recommend, but we'll get to. No, that's fine. That's that's your thing, on. man. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, the, good, I'm the movie thing. Great series. <laughs> he plays this, you know, straight man lost in a world of of laser beams and capes and all this other stuff. So he's a good, um, really good foil to a lot of the other characters. And, and you know, 
I like the way they, they've written him recently. So he's not a robot like he is in the show. That not he a robot in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something? Isn't that what happens? He's remember. some kind of symbiote robot thing because he dies. He dies and then he comes back. And yeah. Yeah. It's. He dies because the, the show's on and then he dies right. in one of the. Which movie does he die in? He dies in Avengers. Spoilers. The first one. The first one. Okay. Yeah. And then, but like the show's on. So like, right. Yeah, yeah. So he comes back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so by the way, spoilers uh, at this point from. Uh, the movie's been out for 10 years. If, just... if, if people don't understand, if they haven't watched it, that's on them. I think spoilers <laughs> up, the, up to end game. <laughs> it's not like we got an advanced screening of a movie that hasn't come out yet. Please. Uh, so, yeah. So we're going to talk about the movie a little bit. Um, it's been a while since I saw it. Uh, we, you know, obviously, we both rewatched this movie to, to prepare for this episode. It, it had been some time. But I owned the movie. And I ended up watching it on Disney Plus, as I told Pat, because I'm lazy. When was the last time you saw it? The last time I saw it was right, actually right after Endgame. So, oh, okay. Uh, USA. Now we're just dropping because you were crying. Disney, Disney Plus, and USA. No free, no free advertising. But um, <laughs> well, the, you, are they not going to know that we yeah. all watch it? It was USA, or if it was FX, they had it. Um, they had a marathon that that weekend. That Endgame came out, and I watched it, and I ended up picking up on a lot of the the threads that that they built on okay go ahead iron man and then Let's later on in um that they've you know went through the whole the whole of the series but you know the the big thing is the iron i am iron man tony ends this one he's iron man i think he says it in all of the iron man films uh, he closes iron man 3 with it and then obviously it's his it's his parting words in end game so it's this important note of, of pat the cried. character is pat cried i did cry <laughs> cried more when cap found his way home to peggy <laughs> funny about when you say that with iron man i found out well i, I don't know why i didn't know this before but like a lot of the the script wasn't finished right when they started so everything's most of it's ad-libbed and I think Jeff Bridges had a moment on set where he had to like come to grips with that. Or Jeff, you know, well, I know Gwyneth Paltrow had a tough time with it because I guess she's more of a structured actress and she needs that kind of script. There. I'm, I don't know, but she's not somebody who can ad lib as well. Not a lot of people can ad lib. No, they can't. But I also question if she even knew what movie she was in. Oh, I know, I know. Sorry, I, 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 I heard that. Yeah. If, you know, when you're doing lines over and over again, and Robert Downey Jr. is a very good ad, mm -hmm. someone who can ad lib very well. Um, and you don't, you don't want to say the same thing. You know, it's tough to react to. I get that. I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that was tough for Jeff Bridges as well. Like the whole thing where he sits down when they're like, Hey, let's just sit down after he comes back. He suggested that because yeah. like, you know, there's like 400 people. Let's just sit down. And so like, I mean, I get that. I, I actually, when they sat down, I was just kind of like, what? I mean, as a director, I, I don't know. I, I, that might frustrate me if, I mean, he's a star, so I he's get a star, like, you know, but I think this was really his turn back to stardom because okay, he, right. he had disappeared from the public for a while, uh, really came back with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which we will discuss in detail in the <laughs> Iron Man 3 episode. <laughs> oh, um, true. Yep. Yep. But I think, you know, John Favreau comes from he had worked on a couple different superhero films before in various capacities. But he also comes from the independent world yep. where they're kind of, you know, you know, from from your filmmaking, you're piecing a lot of it together as you go on. Sure. You know, whether a location cancels on you at the last minute and you got to you got to fix it, you got to go find a solution. And that's when, you know, there was a line in this one where uh, Tony's building the Iron Man suit and he says something to the, to the tone of you have to run before you can walk. Where do you, when he wants to he go wants off, to fly, fly off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that one typifies the entirety of, of this film which they didn't know they were building a cinematic universe they were just making a movie right 
and as they but they were just diving headfirst into it and they were you know the going running with robert downey jr john favreau you know as his as his partner as, as happy to you know providing some of that well the tag at the end when they the the uh nick fury tag at yes. the end i know that was done that was that was done later on right 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 okay and so yeah. that was to them was hey you know it's let's just do a thing yeah you know it doesn't have to we don't know where this is going to go mm-hmm. we didn't know there was 23 plus movies on the horizon <laughs> oh, and, and they just said let's let's put it in there sure well look the agent colson character he becomes such an integral integral part of uh the entire universe both tv and, and yeah. movies but like i read that they like that he was a, it was a smaller role and in, in the original, I guess, version of the script that they kind of used uh, and <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, so but they liked he was worked well with all the other right. actors. So they beefed his role up. But do you think they realized that they would carry him through the rest of the movies? I at least he was more maybe not at the moment that they were filming, but when they had that opportunity later on, because, you know, we see what, you know, the next movies, Incredible Hulk. He's not in it. None of these. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has a has a small cameo on it, but there's no Coulson. There's no Nick Fury. And then even in, I think maybe they said, okay, we can't have Samuel Jackson for all these movies post Iron Man two. Let's bring in Coulson, make him the the everyman kind of character that that these these wild and crazy <laughs> characters can play off of. Which is funny because now they do have Nick Fury in all these other movies like right. Captain Marvel and and just kind of like popping up and. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, and what, what's the? I can't remember the last one I watched. What's the last one? Spider Man. Yes, he's in Far that. From home. Well, yeah. If that's him, well, which I think is BS. But anyways, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that one. Right. So yeah. So this is definitely a a, a I want to say darker than the other movies, but it deals more with uh, reality. It's more. It's also an origin story, which we don't really see anymore. You don't. They kind of blow through the origin stories now. Nowadays, yeah. To get to, and not that's not just a Marvel thing. That's a lot of a lot of movies do that now, um, because everyone's seen the origin story before. Kind of like with Batman. Like, how many times can you see it? Everyone knows already. His parents get shot. Pearls <laughs> drop. Exactly. But I thought that was interesting. That's the one thing that stood out rewatching this movie was that it felt like I was, you know, I was watching a good old fashioned origin story. Yeah, yes. He's building the. He's building the machine. He's trying to figure out like who he is. I totally forgot about the, I didn't forget about it, but I forgot how much of the stuff in the cave there was. Yeah. They spent a lot of time in the cave, a lot more time than than I realized that they did. Um, You know, a couple pieces from my note here is uh, this is certainly a movie from 2008, 2000, 2005 to 2008. You're, you're right on the heels of Batman begins, which had introduced that type of military repurposing Mm -hmm. of devices to help them fight crime more more reality based kind of thing yeah. more like if this could be this could happen in the world today kind of thing yeah right. absolutely the other thing that that kind of stood out was the you know i get so just as a, a point of context three months later the dark knight comes out so you have these two billionaire superheroes pitted against one another that same summer it's also six months before the financial crisis so we have these you know tony stark is this billionaire playboy who we love. We don't care that he has all this money. He's fun because he has all this money and can spend it on the Audi partnerships mm-hmm. that also begin in this movie. <laughs> um, I, I, that was speaking of product placement. I love it. He's like, I just want an all American cheeseburger. And then they had the Burger King bag. I'm like, that's not all American. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess I get it. How much did they pay for that? But right. oof. 
Well, go ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, Audi locked in early yeah. for their sponsorships. But I think, you know, the, the thing that does stand out is um, and, and jumping ahead just a little bit when Stanley created the character, he wanted this capitalist superhero and they really, they really hit on that. Well, they were, he's based on Howard Hughes. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's what I read that he was based on Howard Hughes and just kind of like his, his lifestyle and how his, you know, his, his nature to just perform and to, and to create and to, and to build and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, no, I got that. I definitely got that. Um, the other thing, and I, we touched on it a little bit in terms of, you know, this is the first movie and, you, you know, Nick Fury's in towards the end that, that I think not only that this is an origin story, but also that it's a singular story that there's no concern about, uh, we have to set up 88 other movies, right. you know, it's just, this is the movie, which I kind of appreciate a little bit. I mean, I think to be fair, I think that's probably why black Panther is so successful among other things is that it's a singular story and they're not worried about setting up the next movies. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. lose focus. Right. And, if, and you know, obviously we talked about the tag, the tag was thrown in later on Yeah, but from it's, it's, it's also a quick two hour movie and you're able to get, you know, plot points A through C in there. Everybody has their moments and you're not, you're, you're hooked by the tag at the end, but you're not waiting to say, where does that pick up? Where does that, you know, why do I have to go see three movies to finish this one, mm-hmm. this one story? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem you and I see later on with the MCU, as much as we, we like these movies and we enjoy these movies, you know, as we get into Iron Man two, and we'll talk about that I don't know, in a couple of weeks. It's, you know, it's, you have the introduction of Black Widow, you have Samuel Jackson doing things and you have all these like Easter eggs and things pop up that it just gets a little too much. It's distracting. Yeah. It's distracting from enjoying whatever the story you're being told. Like I'm like, I'm a story guy. So I want to be told a nice story. Like even this movie, there's not, there's, there's action, but there's not a lot. There's not a comparing to the other MCU movies. There's not a lot of action. It's more of a of a drama. It's more of a person trying to find, you know, he, he says it in the movie where he's like, he's finally figured out what he wants to do or what he should be doing. And, you know, he's trying to do it. I, the only, the only, the only thing I wanted to ask you in terms of just kind of like the plot in the movie mm-hmm. is they never really talk about why Obadiah wants, that's Jeff Bridges character. Obadiah Stan wants to kill him. Why he sends him over there to get killed. They never say that they, you get the idea that he wants to kill him now because he wants to change the company, right. but he never was going to do that before. He was always just building, you know, and there are other ways to, no, I agree with that. And I, I, I didn't pick up on that immediately, but there are other ways that you could have removed him from the company. Yeah, I didn't get why, like they never, not, not that I can understand, just give me a reason. Like there was no real reason. And then like, but like, I know that when he goes, when he comes back from New York and he goes and he says like, you know, how did it go at the board of directors and blah, blah, blah. And Bridges sits in Obadiah, excuse me, sits down at the piano he's playing a piece of music that Solieri writes Robert Downey Jr.'s Mozart for those who don't know Solieri was Mozart's rival and Mozart was so obviously so great and and successful but nobody gave a crap about Solieri and stuff like that so I thought that was interesting but that's fine though but like I just wanted that I wanted to know why yeah and it wasn't like Tony had stumbled upon this conspiracy of Obadiah selling weapons to terrorist organizations and and enemies of, of the United States that came after you know Correct. after the fact yeah, yeah that, yeah, that came when he was already over overseas and it wasn't like he had time to bring it to the press or or fire obadiah mm-hmm. obadiah just was doing his best to get him out of the way but also if you're trying to get him out of the way just kill him yeah yeah so they, they keep him alive you know he's he's mm-hmm. in the you know he's in the cave for for a time period so that he could build a suit right right 
All right. So, I mean, I don't that I want to go nitpicking through the movie. I just, uh, I, I think kind of give you an overall sense of like the type of movie it is. And I didn't realize also just real quickly that it took 17 years to get into production that it exchanged hands from universal to Fox to new line and then to Marvel. And then Marvel was like, we're just going to do it. And then go into that where you were going to talk about. Yeah. So just we'll give, I think we might have to do like a whole mini episode on this, <laughs> this whole thing. And, and it's just a quick background on how the Marvel cinematic universe got to, to what we know it is. So, um, in the mid nineties, the comic book industry had burst. It was a bubble, uh, just, just blew up. Marvel comics, the company actually had to declare bankruptcy. They were in such dire straits as a result, Avi Arad, Ike Perlmutter and, and toy biz came in and bought Marvel. So in this, you know, they obviously their toy biz, they saw the value in having these, these characters that they could license as, as action figures as part of this restructuring. Marvel sold the film rights to a number of their characters off the Fox and Sony Spider-Man went off to Sony Fox got the X-Men Fantastic Four at the same time. And just, you know, just so we kind of get some more context is, is Kevin Feige who would eventually run the Marvel studios. He was working as an advisor on these films and he was a, um, he's like the third producer listed on this. Yeah. Um, and you'll see Avi Arad take, you know, uh, take a step back later on and, and, and Kevin really running with it. Kevin, um, he was a mentee under, under the Donners. So Laura Schuler Donner, uh, who wife to Richard, Richard Donner, yep. who, who made the first couple Superman movies. So he has always been ingrained in these, these superhero films. So the, the pre MCU studio, Marvel studios, the pre MCU Marvel studios. So the, the MCU, as we know it, that Marvel studios has only been around about 12 years. The pre one was just this like almost uh, producing uh, semi licensing producing arm that helped bring some of these these pictures forward. So in 2005, Marvel brings on a producer and kind of financial guru, David Mizell. Um, They realize how much money they're leaving on the table. And it's, you know, by licensing these films out. So they go and secure a line of credit for Merrill Lynch. Again, this is, you know. We talk about capitalism and pre-financial crisis. They go get $525 million from Merrill Lynch <laughs> a couple of years before the financial crisis to film movies. Mm-hmm. That, and a lot of these characters that aren't you know, guaranteed successes. In order to do that, they had to put up collateral on, on basically the ownership of the assets of, of characters. So Captain America, the Hulk, Power Pack, and Chang, Shang-Chi, who's actually going to get the movie soon. And what was just dubbed as the Avengers. And that's something I'd love to dive into more and, and figure out what characters fell under that. But funny enough, Tony Stark, Iron Man wasn't included on the list. And so now the film had it's Marvel Studios had a boatload of money. Wouldn't we all love that? <laughs> and they went from nothing to being an independent production company mm-hmm. overnight. And they had two movies on the docket, this and, and Incredible Hulk. So what they wanted to do was retain the light. The rights to the merchandise licenses and that's that's how the agreement settled so they had their star wars moment they had their george lucas we want the toy rights we want the action figure rights and then they you know use the f- uh profits from the box office to pay off the loan but they were able to retain all the money on the merchandising which i thought was funny because and and i was actually wrong about this i was looking into the toy industry and, and maybe because i'm i'm now over 30 and i don't play with action figures um, you don't I, not that i'll admit uh, <laughs> um i didn't realize how like i thought 
iPads and some of the more digital stuff was was coming in and taking over. Obviously, they didn't know that back then, but it turns out that action figures are one of the things that's keeping the the toy business growing. Wow. Yeah. Like the pop figures or just action figures? Just in general. Okay. I couldn't. There was no like drill down in between. But, you know, so you have this, this leg of it that's actually working. The one concern I had was, wasn't that the problem the Batman films got in trouble with? We're going to make these movies to make the action figures. Well, I think they uh, read somewhere that they chose Iron Man because kid because of kids. Kids yeah. would want to, you know, want the. They were more interested in those toys. I get. I mean, kids are going to want. Kids are always going to want toys. Absolutely. Right. No, I hear you. I didn't realize that. Just to piggyback off of that, that this movie was the first movie of a six picture deal with the Paramount. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, but then Disney bought Marvel, and then the rights went to Disney as well as the rights for the because the Avengers and Iron Man three that was in the six picture deal. Yes. Then Paramount, but Paramount kept the rights to Captain America, First Avenger, Iron Man two, and then Thor. But then Disney just turned around and acquired them, I guess later on. But man, they own everything. They do. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah, because that's the first thing that pops up when you're watching the movie, the Paramount logo. You're like what? <laughs> yeah, they had the Paramount, and, and we'll see it again with with Incredible Hulk next week. They had the distribution rights, which yeah. is you know key to getting these things into into theaters. Right. Um, so that was just a real quick kind of how we got here. They, you know, Mike had mentioned the the box office for Iron Man. So it was a success immediately. They knew this plan was was working and they were able to to obviously go forward in, in, in 20 plus more movies. Well, that, you know, you'd also don't realize that they nobody really had any idea if this would be a hit. They didn't think that this was going to be big. They right. just it was a big risk, which I mean, I know, I guess it's looking back. It's it's hindsight is always 2020, obviously. So I. I but I can't see why they would think this wouldn't be a hit. I don't understand what they thought the big risk was. I mean, I mean, there's, there's, it's problem. It's not, it's not a perfect movie. It's problematic. The ending fight is problematic. There's no bad guy. They just, there's kind of at their obstacles. There's bad guy yeah. obstacles, but like to, for him to become who he is, but there's really no like baddie. You know what I mean? No, I mean, nobody mm-hmm. is trying to take mm-hmm. over a company and then he then. It and then all of a sudden, big. he became maniacal, and he just right. started killing civilians, collateral damage, and all that stuff. It's like this doesn't make sense. And like I, my favorite part of Obadiah Stane is, you don't ever see him until like the intro, like you know, like thirty six hours early. He's getting yep. the award, and they show, and then Obadiah Stane stepped in, and like the first image of him is in the Newsweek cover. Where he's looking down on the globe, and he's got this shaved head and beard. It's like you look like a bad guy. <laughs> you absolutely look like a bad guy. And every shot now they show you Tony Stark's head. You're just like, you're like so. If you didn't realize that he was going to be a bad guy, I mean, shame on you because they didn't hide it. I never had a taste for this sort of thing, but I must admit, I'm deeply enjoying the suit. Let's get into the differences between the comics and the movie. I didn't realize I'm going to start this off since uh, I took notes, but I don't know as much about the comics as you do. Obviously, that's no, no. But I didn't. I never liked the ending of the movie. Mm -hmm. I've never liked the whole thing, but I didn't realize it was based on a comic that ending. So go if you want to go into that a little. Yeah. So it's based on just, I mean, I'll I'll kind of maybe start from the beginning. Sure. No, I want you to start where I said. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, real quick, Iron Man, Tony Stark was created by Stan Lee, Larry Leiber, Don Heck, and then uh, Jack Kirby, uh, the king, had come on and, and drew the covers. So he came out in 1963. Lee, again, you know, going back to that capitalist origin story, he wanted this almost like counter to the counterculture movement. So whereas everybody was protesting Vietnam and you got this weapons manufacturer, billionaire, and people love them. 
And, and, and it could be because of that Howard Hughes relatability to him. The thing in the, the cave has always been the same. It doesn't, it actually doesn't matter what war it is. So it was Vietnam. Right. Then they bumped it up to the Gulf War and now Afghanistan. Right. It, they, they also do the same thing with the Punisher in, in various interpretations well, of that character. Well, these stories are so old that, yeah, yeah I got you. The only one that kind of stays in his war is, is Captain America. Right. So it's, it's always, he gets injured overseas. He builds the, the suit in the cave. Jensen is always there as, a, as an assistant to help him. Uh, so that's they, they do a really good job with you know the origin, just updating it for today, right? Or for you know two thousand eight. Back to Obadiah, he wasn't an original character mm-hmm. in that sixties time frame. He showed up in the mid eighties. He was written, and this is one of our you know recommended readings for this week. But he he was introduced by Denny O'Neill, who's this you know famous, great great uh, comic book writer. He had been on Batman, Green Arrow, Green Lantern series really in tune with just moving putting these characters in a little bit more real situations making them a little bit grittier Mm -hmm. he brought um bruce wayne to live into the heart of gotham uh he did this whole road tripping thing with green arrow green lantern where they got involved in um there were stories about racism and, and stories about uh drugs and 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 dealing with that so he's always been in tune with kind of what's going on so mid 80s obadiah is introduced He's also a weapons dealer, runs Stain International. But he's not, he is not involved with the company. No. Okay. No. So he he has his own Stain International. He, you know, he had worked with, with Howard Stark. He's not so much of a father figure as he is, as he's almost purported in, in this film. Right. He's a rival businessman. So he sets his sights on taking over Stark Industries. Eventually he does. It's the same time Tony's going through a lot of issues, um, while he's while while Obadiah gets access to Stark Industries, he finds the Iron Man files. So from there, he's able to build the Iron Monger suit. So a lot of that stays the same in this. You know, they just kind of update it so it's it's a little bit more of a. You know, you're when when you introduce a father figure, maybe they're they're manufacturing some of that emotional appeal. Sure. And I think that's, you know, what they were able to do again, short movie, two hours. And we say short, but, you know, comparatively now, two hours, they're able to jump him right in father figure. You know, he's right next to Tony. You're not seeing, as we see in Iron Man 2, Hammer Industries Mm -hmm. is, is an outside force trying to take over, not, not take over Stark, but win contracts and win bids from him. So it's, you know, you needed that inside Stark Industries to kind of, I guess, move the plot along. Sure. I get that. And then obviously in, in the comics, Tony comes back, he, he defeats him. And, um, there we are. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that, um, the terrorist, the main terrorist in the movie mm-hmm. Raza, he's in the comic too. I saw that. I read that, that he is in this movie. He's, you know, the main terrorist, the guy who's got the, the, the scar. Right. But yeah. I guess in the comic, he's an alien cy- cyborg and he's Tony's friend or something like that. Do you know anything about that? I haven't. Like these notes that, that I get are just like, oh, that's interesting. And let me ask Pat about that because I don't know. I mean, send them to me next time. <laughs> I was more focused on the Ten Rings Association. Tell me about the Ten Rings stuff. It's, because a, I'm, it's just, is it, it's like a terrorist group kind yeah. of thing? Okay. Yeah. In the comic in, as in well? In the comics, it's, it's a similar organization. That's where the Mandarin comes in. A little bit more um, fantasy aspect to it okay. than, than terrorism. But And these are the moments where they're teasing without you know teasing what was to come. And they're like, you know, let's set up this organization we think this is the bad guy 
and then we we learn later on that, that it's that Obadiah. Not, yeah. What you could have told if we could have thought yeah. it was his bald head and his strange stare. <laughs> so I don't know, like, you know, you, you mentioned that John Favreau had, had discussed introducing Mandarin. I'm wondering if they were also thinking of doing the Ten Rings in this one. Mandarin's this guy behind the scenes. Yeah. And Obadiah, like, is is the father figure through a couple movies. Man, so his maybe. turn is is slightly more emotional and then you know that way it's able to you know you could see him build this this corporate takeover right well i have a bunch of notes where well having some note that uh favreau brought a bunch of comic book writers uh on to like advise on the mm-hmm. script so i don't know maybe that like I, I don't, you know these names probably more than i do mark millar brian mitchell bendis joe Quesada, yes right yes. tom prevort axel alonzo Ralph Macchio for some reason, not, not the Macho that I'm thinking of, <laughs> no. but, uh, or maybe it's Macchio. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So I'm wondering if when they came on, they kind of helped shaped either the Mandarin out or, yeah, you know so what I mean? Yeah. A lot of those guys that you named, um, uh, Mark Millar, Brian, Michael Bendis, they were oh, Brian Mitchell. Excuse me. I apologize. Does it Michael or Mitchell? Uh, Brian, Michael. Oh, Bendis. Whatever. Yeah. I wrote it wrong. Uh, My bad. Maybe there's a Brian Mitchell. Bendis Brian, too, I apologize. <laughs> I have, his, uh, I have his book over here. My it's, right for it's right in front of me. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> but so anyways, yeah, they were Brian uh, Bendis and Millar. They had really built the ultimate universe. So it was a, it was a subset of the you know, Marvel universe or, or second. You know. Basically, they took these characters and tried to reintroduce them. New origin stories, updated origin stories for a modern retelling. So. In that one, in in the Ultimates, which is the Avengers, in in the movies, pull a lot from that team. Hawkeye's in there, Captain America, Thor, Tony. In it, they have a scene where they're debating, you know, oh, if we're making a movie about the Ultimates, who would play you? Mm-hmm. And and Samuel Jackson was used as the inspiration for Nick Fury. Right. So then they were able to bring that to real life. It was art imitating, you know, going around in a circle there. So they did that and it, they were really trying to, th- those guys had updated these, these characters for a more modern retelling. When, when this was in the nineties, uh, now 2000s. 2000s? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so they were able to pull from a lot of that stuff and, and, and Joe Quesada, he was a longtime editor in chief of Marvel. He had actually brought in the, the Marvel Knights okay. series, which is another one of a more of a, a slightly older age streamlined version of of some of these characters so daredevil was in there punisher but he had you know he had worked on these things for years and years so he was he was intimately familiar and then then axel he also became the editor-in-chief so you got these guys who had been involved in these characters for a long time long time comic book geeks obviously or they, yeah. they wouldn't be doing this um to come in and really really help i'm curious as to what they did or what they removed or added yeah. or something like that i, I mean i I'm curious. So now let me ask you this. Is Jarvis in the comics? Jarvis is initially he was Tony's butler. Okay. Or in, in like Howard's Howard's friend. And and we see that in the, the Agent Carter show. Okay. I don't watch the show. Sorry, man. I think later on <laughs> they the show's I like that show much better than um Agents of Shield. Uh I didn't watch that either. <laughs> Nor the one with the big dog. Oof. What is that one? Uh, the Inhumans. I, I mean, I do know Marvel stuff. I just, you know, there's, yeah. some, there's, there's, there's so much of it that I'm just like, Ugh, pass. Uh, That's the, coming back though, right? The Inhumans? Yeah. I think so. I uh, think they're going to re, re, 
tried or something. It's on, on Disney Plus. They, I mean, oh, really? They put it on Disney Plus. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to that. Because <laughs> I don't know why they thought that that was, I know we're getting sidetracked here, but I don't know why they thought that was going to work where they, they put the first couple episodes in theaters. In I, the yeah, we showed it. IMAX at our thing. my theater, we showed it in IMAX. Yeah, nobody came. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Um, so yeah, so Jarvis was uh, a, a dude, a, a yeah. person in the in the okay, because and I believe in the ultimate state they transferred him into that because okay, um, AI. Okay. Oh, so he. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And then Tony has a number of AIs that that he's working with, and and he's this. You know, you looked it up. What does it mean? Oh man, when I read that, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> so Jarvis stands for just a rather very intelligent system. That bothers me. I sent that to you and I was like, what? (laughs) Well, let me ask you this since are you familiar with the Iron Man comics a lot or just somewhat? Did you used to read them when you read? Yeah. I mean, years ago I I picked up pieces here and there. Are there, was there stuff in the comic that you wish they put in this movie? Were you okay with the, what the type of story they told in terms of like, was this the only way to tell Iron Man? You know what I mean? Based upon the source material. I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, they, they hit on the origin. They got, and we talked about the differences already, but yeah, yeah go ahead. I mean, they hit on the origin. They, they got right through that. I think bringing in Obadiah was uh, a good idea, mm-hmm. especially, you know, as I think making the, the, you know, he used to do, uh, Tony was very much, you know, it was, it was the height of Vietnam would fight a lot of, um, would fight communism and, and, you know, a lot of, villains from from that side of the world so i think actually bringing him back and being more domestic i think helps people get into it a little bit more mm-hmm. otherwise you know again we're, we're talking 2008 we're still in afghanistan it's this but the the, the popularity of it's kind of winding down we're still there but yeah <laughs> right now. No, i hear you go ahead popularity of it's very much winding down um but back then i think you know they didn't really want to I wouldn't imagine they wanted to keep it focused on that. Right. So I think making it more of a, a betrayed storyline. And, and like you said, the villain is not really a villain. The story in this is proof. Tony has a heart. Right. Well that, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the, the show with the, the literal old arc reactor, but mm-hmm. it's Tony, as you mentioned, he's figuring out who he is. Well, isn't in the comics, he's more messed up. He's a, he's a alcoholic and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So that was actually what was happening when Obadiah in the comics was trying to take over. Tony was going through the demon in the bottle story arc. Um, we see a little of that in Iron Man 2. Okay. In that he's drinking a lot because he's he, the arc reactor's killing him. Right. And he's putting his life on the line. So he really, they toned down the drinking a lot. Well, it's like supposed to be a kid. That's what I, um, I laughed. Like, it's just supposed, like, I just, one of the things, not to get you off your, yeah. topic but like they talk about how like oh they chose Iron Man because the kids kids want the toys and stuff like that and I'm like okay cool and then okay we're 15 minutes into the movie he's got a sex scene and then he's on a plane and these girls are pole dancing and I'm like uh I would because I, I was thinking about I was like oh let me oh guys let's watch the Marvel movies I'm doing this mm-hmm. podcast and maybe my kids want to watch it and then I'm watching them go um uh, no, that's, <laughs> no we're not gonna do that <laughs> and they they toned down and they toned down a lot of that in, in the later ones too. Well, I think I honestly, that's probably because again, they didn't have executives. They didn't have people right. telling them, no, this is what we need to do. They just were like, yeah, go make this movie. And they gave them a little bit more leeway. I mean, it's funny. 
the the scenes are funny. They're, and they're you know, the, I mean, I I understand it because you're setting up his Playboy type, you know, lifestyle. Playboy, you're billionaire, yeah, right? You're setting you're setting all that up, and I get it, it works. But like, again, you're right in terms of like who you're marketing to. Um, you know, you're you're marketing the kids, and I, I, I'm sure at some point later on, well, tweens probably tweens yeah. and, and 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 teenagers. At some point later on, you know, they maybe whether it's Kevin Feige or whoever stepped mm-hmm. in, and be like, okay, listen, we need to make sure that it's a little bit more PG thirteen light kind of thing. Yeah, this right. is certainly PG, like PG thirteen plus, where the later ones get almost like a PG thirteen minus. Right, the other PG thirteen, like later on, you're I think you're you're talking about violence and. And maybe some language, yeah. not so much sexual in terms of what you had in this mm-hmm. one. But I mean, the, but again, I, I understood why it was in there and I understand why it, maybe they, they toned it down. Like you said, yeah. I, I mean, I get all of that. So it's just, it's just interesting. It's just an interesting footnote in that kind of history of the, of, of the MCU and yes. of this movie. The other thing that I just kind of wanted to hit on. Yeah, was, go ahead. Go for it. As with all superheroes, the secret identity is a huge thing in the comics. It certainly was for a while. They pretended that Iron Man was his bodyguard. They make a comment about that in this, this film as the, well. The cover story he gives him is yeah. what they use in the, in the comic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so at the end of it in, in Kevin Feige, who, who's obviously going under throwing everything, they, he basically had come out and said, you know, looking back on it and said, you know, I thought, and this is a quote from him. The one comic comic strip we haven't done in the MCU is the secret identity thing. And I thought that had been overplayed for a long time, which is why we had Tony Stark out himself at the end of the first movie. We were sort of announcing to the audience that we're not going to play that game. But I think it opens the story up, especially for Iron Man, in more ways. Instead of going back, as Kevin says, instead of going back and doing some of these secret identity stories, we're able to, now he's a celebrity. He's, you know, he's, he's a celebrity superhero. And, and that's something that we haven't really seen before. Do you think that that because I know in the last Spider-Man, they kind of do that. They kind of he's revealed in, yeah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the latest one. But for some reason, Iron Man has morphed into part of the Spider-Man universe and they've become one. And it's a little weird. I mean, we can get into it when we get into Spider-Man, but it's, yeah. it's a little weird. I joke that the last Spider-Man is actually Iron Man 4, but... Yeah, no, I, I think having that father figure character, advisor, mentor in the superhero world is, is great, right? but it just doesn't work. Like, uh, you have two two things here. Tony chose to do this. He chose to out himself. Right. He chose to say, you know, I am Iron Man. And, and, and I'm not, let's be honest, it's not that that decision to do that at the end of the movie is not... Yes, it's... It's funny and it, and it, but it's it's a little ego based. It's a yeah. little you know he wants the recognition, which I find funny because he doesn't want to make. I don't want to do any weapons anymore. But you built a suit that's a weapon, you know. Right. You know what I mean. But yeah. still, regardless, you know, it's he still has. He's not completely like changed from that cave. You know no. what I mean. He's he's still egocentric, which is good because no one's gonna ever fully change. Right. You know. So, but yeah, go ahead. I, I just wanted to add. I that. no, I think you're you're absolutely right, and I think. It's totally ego that he sat there and said, I'm Iron Man. Oh, yeah. And then we cut the black, which is a great. Sure. I mean, when you're trying to build a universe, that's a great way to end it. But then you go into to Spider-Man and they purposely out him. So I think maybe that's where we'll start to see some of the differences. Yeah. What I don't, you know, what I like to see, and, and we loved it from the Sam Raimi, Raimi versus, is Peter trying to deal with this. But we never got the, the two, you know, we never got him dealing with the two right. different lives and peter parker has mentors that 
betray him yeah. in in the comics and mm-hmm. in the movies that you don't but i get it. It, it like i said i think this the universe has become so big now that you're going into territory that you haven't done yet and you know you haven't really you're trying to use the same stuff you've had for years in the comics in terms of like the secret identities and stuff like that and just kind of like the the, mm-hmm. the the villains and stuff like that but you have created this huge world now where we're off world yeah. they know that they're not the only ones in the world so obviously that's where you that's where everyone's focus will be yeah but um but yeah but that's that's something later that, that it is. do you have anything else or i had let's give kudos to stan winston labs because they they have stan winston studios uh they had put together the visual effects on this and as they were going through it they were they were kind of figuring out what they could do because so robert downey jr started in like the full suit and as they were they were going through it they, they started to take pieces off and a lot of it's motion capture yep and so they were able to, you know, really build this from scratch. And they did, you know, they won the, the Oscar that year, which is fantastic. This is his last movie before he passed away. It was. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, I mean, just if you don't know him, go look him up. He's uh, one of the greatest creators in Hollywood. But the last thing that I, I just wanted to touch on as kind of leads into some of the other movies is the line that, that Tony says, you know, he's talking about some people say that peace means not having to, to fire a weapon. And then Tony responds with, well, I disagree. I say peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. Yeah. Oh, having a weapon that fires only once, right? Yeah. 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 Right. So when he was, he's selling the Jericho missiles, we kind of see him revisit that in Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, and Age of Ultron, where he's constantly building these yes. weapons. And and this is before we get to Avengers, but it's, it's this personality quirk that they build into him without realizing where it's going to go, but they build into him so early that, you know, he is his father's son. He's sure. going to, you know, build these things and, and protect people. But we definitely see him pick up on that thread uh, in the next couple movies, which is, um, I thought was a great, great thing that they've you know built here and then, then picked up later right. on. Right. Cool. Day 11 test 37 configuration 2.0 for lack of a better option. Dummy is still on fire safety. If you douse me again and I'm not on fire, I'm donating you to city college. But let's, let's talk about its role in that's where we go next, right? Let's talk about its role in the entire universe. So in terms of how it affects future movies. So talk a little bit, because I read that too about the Mandarin um, and we don't have to go into what the Mandarin become tonight became, excuse me, in Iron Man three, but talk about what they what Favreau's vision was uh, through, for this movie in terms of future movies. You don't know? No. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> what do you awesome. Have? Okay. What do you have that I so, do? Oh, so basically that, like you said, like um, the, the Mandarin was supposed to be in this movie. He was supposed to be the bad guy. And he was supposed to be, uh, you weren't supposed to know who he was. You weren't supposed to see him. He was supposed to be this like mythical Mandarin and, and he ran the 10 rings. Gotcha. And he was supposed oh, okay, to yes, have more yes. of it. That's what yep. I, yeah. You don't know. Uh, so, no but, idea what you but, so, but then that. they opted to take, they, they just decided not to use them. I can't remember what, for what reason, but they just decided, you know, we're not going to, with it, through rewrite upon rewrite, mm-hmm. they decided to just to not have him and then just, I guess, go with the Obadiah Stane stuff. So, yeah. So then the Mandarin ends up showing up in Iron Man 3. Sort of. Kind of. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I'm not a fan of. No, and I'm, I'm not either. I like, I love a lot of that movie, but some of that just doesn't, doesn't work. It's better than two. Uh, so <laughs> just to boil this movie down in terms of it's tough to say like its role in the universe because it, it, it technically does start it off, but it really, they didn't know they were starting it off. Right. But I think they pull out, you know, you mentioned this one's grittier than, than you remembered. And then maybe some of the other more ones. Realistic. On. Yeah, more yeah, realistic. Yeah. More realistic. Absolutely. And the film opens with ACDC. 
Mm-hmm. And it opens with, you know, and and I think Guardians of the Galaxy gets a lot of credit for using music that we all know and, and all enjoy, but it's always been a part of Iron Man. And so they were trying to squarely plant him in a real world and tie him down to stuff that we we know before they introduce some of the stuff. And it also helps build the Tony character that he's right. you know, loves classic rock. <laughs> well, also, I think this movie is probably probably this movie, probably a lot of the movies in the phase phase one group, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe the Avengers. This movie is more of its own movie, like it's not poked and prodded by 20 executives. You yes. know what I mean? I, I mean, I know you, you have now created this monster where we are now today. So you need to you know, make sure that everything aligns with what you're trying to do moving forward. But this one. Because there was there was just an idea of what it could become, not of what it's going on. It was more just its own movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a little bit more latitude given to the actors and to the directors and to the writers. I'm sure everyone had input still, but it wasn't as this needs to be in here, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. there was there was a couple moments where they kind of tease a broader universe where they you know they mention that Howard Stark had worked against the Nazis, right? And and we see that pick up in in Captain America, but there's no real like not, we go to Iron Man too there's Easter eggs upon Easter eggs upon Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah. And it's at some point they're, they're good. And then then another point they just cross the line where that's all you're doing is picking up on these things. So mm-hmm. in this one, there's certainly Easter eggs. People are having fun time with it. They enjoy these characters. They know these characters, but they're not, it's not an overburden. Mm-hmm. It's just, Hey, here's a fun story. Let's go tell this story and let's see what happens. And I thought that was interesting that, um, that how, how, how different John Slattery looked as Tony's dad in this movie. Oh, wait a minute. It's not him. It's a different actor. Yeah. <laughs> Howard Stark has just been that's, played by so many people. Right. That's And that, that and like Iron Man had like, cause Terrence Howard's not in the, he's no longer uh roadie as they kept his name. Like his name is James Rhodes, right? That's yes. his name. Yeah. But like in the, in, when you look in the cast, it's roadie. It's like, yeah, his name is James Rhodes. Don Cheadle takes over his character in Iron Man too. And then he just runs with it for the entire series. Yes. And he's and still, I, he's still him. And I think that, and, and we could probably touch on it more when, in a couple of weeks when we get there, but there's two pieces of that. You know, one, we could save the conversation over the, the compensation. Some mm-hmm. of these guys got and the deals that Marvel was making with them in this, this new like movie studio system that they have. But Terrence Howard isn't as funny as Don Cheadle becomes. Right. Don Cheadle takes a lot of that snarkiness that Tony has and gives the same back to him. Terrence Howard character is a little bit more straight man. He's more up, not uptight, but buttoned, uh, buttoned up. And then anytime he's with Tony and Tony able is able to loosen him up yeah. and, and he likes Tony that way. That's like his friend but Don Cheadle's. It's kind of like, honestly, Don Cheadle's almost like he's in an oceans 11 movie again. Like, yeah. you know, he, he except doesn't have the English accent and he's just kind of like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, no, I, I got you. They're both, they're both good actors. They were. So yeah. Um, so it, it, you didn't really lose much going from from Howard to Cheadle. All right. So um, that's, you know, that's our take for Iron Man. Uh, join us our next episode. We're going to be talking about the Edward Norton starring The Incredible Hulk, which I have not seen in quite some time. So that'll be interesting. I enjoy that one. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I like Liv Tyler. She, she's in that one, right? She is. Okay. Because I, I, I always confuse the Eric Bana one with, with them. So no, this one yeah. has um, Liv Tyler. Uh, Edward Norton, obviously, as yeah. you mentioned, and then the only character Nick Nolte, right? Nick Nolte's her father. Is that the other one? That's the other one. Is it Donald Sutherland in this one? No. See, there you go. I'm already confusing. <laughs> Who the heck is her dad? Who's the Who's the army guy that's chasing him? He's um he, he comes back as uh 
Uh, no, 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 no. That's the bad guy. That's the guy that that juices himself up. Uh, t- oh, oh, no, no. You who are you think? Who's Liv Tyler? Isn't Liv Tyler have a uh, uh, going to the? Oh, not William Hurt. William Hurt. That, yeah. They, William yeah, Hurt yeah. comes. He's, I knew it was an older man. <laughs> Tim Roth is the, the, that's who the guy who juices. I knew that. Up. I knew that. I knew that guy. Well, but that's next. We'll, time. we'll get that that's next, next time. episode. So join us next time. Next episode for uh, yet another MCU podcast where we will uh, talk about the Incredible Hulk. And thanks for listening, Pat. As always, a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Mike. This is great. Um, and for anybody listening, remember to like and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Uh, yep. We'll be back next week. Absolutely. Uh, take care, guys. See ya. As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, it's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years, most recently as an editor at DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. So, Mike, I just have a couple, you know, quick recommended ones for you. You know, just about every Iron Man, uh, every artist or writer has worked on Iron Man in some capacity throughout his, you know, 40, 50 plus history. We touched on one. It was the Iron Man, Iron Monger storyline from the mid 80s. That was the one written by Denny O'Neill. This one, you know, as we discussed, huge inspiration for the first movie, uh, really discusses uh, Stain trying to take over Stark Industries, introduces the Ironmonger Sue, and, and Tony obviously must, must figure out a, a way to defeat him. Number two is Iron Man, the Iron Age. So this one written by Kurt Busiek and art by Patrick Zercher. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of Zercher's pencils, and, and this is just a great reintroduction of the character of Tony Stark and Iron Man. And they, they adapt a lot of the original Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, early stuff um, from those original tales of suspense stories before he got his own got his own book. So brings it all together into a co- cohesive story. Uh, if you're looking for a good origin one, uh, this is the one to go to. And then finally, uh, you have The Invincible Iron Man. This was a 2008 series written by Matt Fraction. We're definitely going to be referencing Fraction later on. It launched actually in conjunction with this film, uh, with original Iron Man. Uh, so this series picks up following the Civil War storyline where Tony's now the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he um, it has him fighting against the son of Obadiah Stane. Uh, so it's a, it's a really good jumping on point for, for new readers, especially the first few sagas in, in that one. But that's the three we got this week. Uh, let us know if we missed any of your favorites. And uh, if you have a recommendation, drop us a line.